Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Summer Hack Podcast. How do you stop young people from vaping? What will it take? It's a question that governments around the country are asking right now. It's one of the big problems that they're grappling with. And we've got those governments spending hundreds of millions of dollars on potential solutions. They're trying to figure out the best way to convince young people not to vape, not to take it up or to quit if they're already doing it. We've got that nationwide ban on importing single-use vapes that's already come into force this year. More bans coming into force in the next couple of months. But the researchers found teenagers, young adults are still taking up vaping. Now, in the past, governments turned to really graphic campaigns to scare people to stop smoking, like this TV ad from the 1970s. The human lung is like a sponge. A sponge designed to soak up air. But some people use it to soak up smoke. If the average smoker could collect and wring out what goes into his lungs over a year, he'd find this much cancer-producing tar. And you can hear there, it's really visual, obviously, (laughs) this isn't the best medium for it, but you're watching horrifying images, but you can also hear that it's quite confronting. So would that work in this day and age? Is that what we need to be seeing more of? Something driving home the long-term impacts of vaping? Is that the best approach for young Australians today? Let's get into it with someone who's been researching this and speaking to a lot of young Australians who do vape in focus groups, in research to figure out why they're doing it and what's having an impact. Dr. Michelle Jonjanellis is from Melbourne Uni and she's with us now. G'day, Michelle. Thanks very much for joining us on the Hack Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Those graphic anti-smoking campaigns like the one we just heard, how effective were they in getting Australians to turn away from cigarettes? Oh, I mean, they were incredibly effective, obviously, you know, in combination with policy change and other things that that we've been, you know, implementing over the decades. But, you know, back when those campaigns first aired, we were only, well, scientists knew about the harms of of cigarettes, but, you know, smokers and and people out there in the community really didn't. And so what these campaigns did was increase awareness of the vast, you know, amazing amount of harms that's associated with these products. So where are most of the anti-vaping campaigns popping up at the moment? Where would people be seeing those? They're mainly being used in social media. Yeah. So, you know, free-to-air television, very few people are watching free-to-air television these days, especially kids and, and young adults. So what we've what we've done is we've turned our attention to, you know, platforms like Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. Let's see, you know, let's place these ads where, you know, people are located, our target audience is located. But we're also taking advantage of what's called out-of-home advertising. So, you know, billboards on the back of the toilet store in pubs and nightclubs on public transport you know really just to get as many eyes as possible on these ads. Is there any idea of how effective they've been so far because the research would indicate that young people are still taking up vaping so maybe we haven't had as much of a dramatic impact as we saw decades ago with the anti-smoking campaigns. 
Yeah, I mean, it's really too early to tell. So the data that we're seeing that shows that, you know, vaping rates have increased, that's data from about two, three years ago, whereas the campaigns have only been on air for about, you know, three months. For example, the the Vic Health Clear the Air campaign, um, you know, was really only launched at the end of last year. So we don't really know yet the impact of that campaign. But also it's important to note that those campaigns don't work in isolation. They need to work in combination with policy and legislation change. And obviously the policy change that happened recently was only January 1 and then we've got more policy change happening on the 1st of March. So it'll probably be, you know, I'd say a couple of years before we really see a reduction in prevalence rates of vaping. Do you, in your speaking, your research, speaking with young people who are vaping about uh, why they're doing it, their response to messaging around it, are you hearing that they're less interested in talking about like the long-term impacts or hearing from professors, doctors? Yeah, I mean, you've really nailed it there. They, they don't really care about the long-term harms. You know, if we say to them, well, this might cause cancer, they sort of think, well, that, that's something that might happen. And if it does happen, it's not going to happen for another 40 years and this, you know, watermelon flavoured vape that I'm vaping is actually really yummy and pleasurable. And and so, you know, I'll worry about that later. So what we really need to do is be focusing more on the short-term harms of of use and, you know, what chemicals are in these products. So, you know, when we run focus groups with with adolescents and young adults, they say to us, tell us the chemicals in these products and then tell us what those chemicals do or what other things they're in. So, for example, I've often said to people, well, did you know that there's formaldehyde in, in vapes? And they go, well, what's formaldehyde? And I say, well, it's used to preserve dead bodies. It's what they inject into dead bodies. And then that <laughs> elicits the reaction that, that we want. So, we need to be really creative, but also really careful that we don't start using these, you know, chemical names that they don't understand. They want to know what it is that they're consuming and they have a right to know what it is that they're consuming. Yeah, I guess that's really hard. And the experts we've spoken to on Hack in the past have said, you know, the issue is we don't know exactly what is in vapes a lot of the time. Uh, It's different from vape to vape and that's part of the issue. But I guess from a young person's perspective, from a consumer's perspective, when they're thinking about it, if they can't imagine what it is, maybe it's less frightening. I don't don't know. No, you're exactly right. But also what the industry has done is it's put these flavorings in a, in this product, right? So we're telling them, well, did you know you're consuming something that's incredibly harmful? And they go, well, what do you mean? This is just a watermelon vape. Like it tastes really fruity. How can this be harmful? So they're masking the effects of the chemicals. If they take the flavorings out, then they just get the sort of harshness of the of the nicotine and, and of the other sort of chemicals that are in there. So, you know, we're also battling this industry that is just, you know, adopting these ingenious messages to really hook adolescents and young adults and and adults onto this product. Do we know how vapes are generally viewed compared with cigarettes amongst young Australians? Is that anything anything that you've ever discussed? Yeah, we have. And, and, you know, they typically say that e-cigarettes are less harmful than tobacco cigarettes, which, you know, based on the available evidence, we, you know, we can say that, yes, they are likely to be less harmful. We don't know how less harmful they are. We still don't know about the long-term effects, though. So we're really cautious about that. But generally speaking, adolescents, young adults, adults will say these are less harmful than tobacco products. What's concerning is when people say, well, they are less harmful than other nicotine replacement products because we just don't know that. And actually it's it's not the case. We've got nicotine replacement products for smokers to quit that have been approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration. So that's where we probably need to do some myth busting.
This is the Hack Podcast. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Dr. Michelle Johnjanellis from Melbourne Uni about vaping, how to get young people to quit, what's going to actually have an impact in terms of campaign strategies to drive down those vaping rates. Michelle, what do you think we should be trying? Well, I think the policy changes that are happening federally are really important right now. So we've got some new regulations in place. On the 1st of January, they are, you know, in put in a ban on the import of single-use products, single-use vapes. These are the vapes that most young kids who vape are using, those awful ones that just end up in landfill. And then on the 1st of March, we have a whole bunch of other regulations that are coming into effect. So the banning the flavourings, banning the sale of both nicotine and non-nicotine products. So essentially what we should be expecting is that any retail store selling these products and solely selling these products should close down. So that's a really great first step. It's that policy change. Now, that's going to help get young adults to not take up vaping. But there's also the other side of that. There's also people who are currently vaping, started using these products, and they're now dependent on these products. What we need to be doing is supporting these people to quit safely. So making sure they get support from their GP or from other people around them. We, you know, we certainly know that that quit has recently, you know, come up with some resources around that. So there are a couple of approaches. It's not just about getting people not to take up the product. It's about now helping people who are addicted to that product to quit. I think the other interesting thing is you speaking about, um, you know, f- the focus in the past being on the long-term impacts, the fact that young people may not be as interested in thinking uh, towards the future and maybe it's the short-term impacts that people might already be feeling now where we should be focusing attention. Yeah, so that that absolutely, they focus on the now. So they're worried about becoming dependent on this product. So, you know, we've had people in focus groups who said, oh, look, you know, I was out with my friends. One of my friends forgot her vape and she just didn't enjoy the night out. She was just constantly worried about the fact that she'd left her vape at home. Now, that's not something that people want to become. People don't want to go on a night out and be stressing the whole time because they don't have their vape on them. So is that something, is that a message we need to be sending out to them that they are being controlled by? this product and this industry. Uh, But then also we've got the chemicals message. That's something that that we've been told really, really helps. And then, as you've pointed out, the more short-term issues associated with this. So the throat irritation, it's going to, you know, potentially make your asthma worse if you have asthma. It's going to make it harder for you to participate in sport because you're becoming breathless. We know that there's lung issues and respiratory issues associated with that. Are you, you know, not going to be able to make out with a girl for as long because you, you know, you can't breathe very very well. That's something that came up in some focus groups I heard earlier. You know, we know that, that kids are leaving class in high school to go and vape in the bathrooms. Is that an issue? Are they worried about their academic achievement? So, you know, what are the consequences that aren't just the traditional heart disease, cancer, you know, all of that sort of stuff? The making out. Um, the making out. Yeah, I know. That's, that might win a few people over. Who knows? Yeah. Sexual impotence. Yeah. Wow. I mean... <laughs> What about why they're vaping? Is that coming up in your research? Well, they were really sort of conscious about the fact that, you know, some of them are vaping to sort of moderate their stress and their anxiety levels. So they mistakenly believe that, you know, vaping is going to help with this. Now, in the long term, it it doesn't. Nicotine, you know, and and the other chemicals in there are not going to help with their stress relief. So something that we're sort of really wanting to, to focus on is, well, if people are using this product to moderate their anxiety, we need to make sure they're supported when they start 
to quit this product, you know, in other means? So can they do other things to help with their anxiety and their stress relief? Are, are adolescents in particular and young adults really just sort of crying out for this idea that, you know, we're under stress, we're anxious, the world that we live in is, you know, is not a very nice place at the moment and we're using this to try and help with that. We need to be helping them in other ways. So do we need to improve our mental health care system, for example. Are we looking to other countries as well, or are we the ones leading in all of this, in the anti-vaping messaging, in the laws? Uh, there's, it's made headlines around the world, the stuff the federal government's been uh, announcing over the past few months, but are we trying to take some guidance from other countries? I, I mean, that's a really interesting point because if you talk to a pro-vaping lobbyist, they will say that we should be looking to countries like the UK and the US where e-cigarettes are widely available. It's interesting, though, that since we implemented the prescription model and since our, our you know introduction of the ban came in on January 1 and, and the forthcoming ones on the 1st of March, that those countries are now actually looking to us. They're seeing skyrocketing rates of um, vaping among youth, particularly in the UK. And they are saying, you know what, maybe we actually need to implement a prescription model. We were we were duped. This is not a product that the industry, you know, is, is just for smokers. They're deliberately targeting kids. Maybe we need to introduce a prescription model like Australia. So things are sort of reversed. If you listen to the pro-vapers, they'll say we need to do what, what the UK is doing. But the UK is saying, actually, no, I think, you know, it looks like we got it wrong and we need to be doing what Australia is doing. Very interesting. And as you say, it's still a couple of years before we're going to know the full effects of all of these measures that are rolling out. We're going to be checking in with you in two years' time, Dr. Michelle Johnson-Ellis. I look forward to it. (laughs) Thank you very much for joining us on the Hack Podcast. Thanks, Dave. Summer Hack on Triple J.